0: Hey, listeners of the Bio Report. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you about the digital library from Deep Dive. How much time does your team spend looking for research papers? Google, PubMed, social media. There's got to be a better way. You can now search a reference database of 100 million scientific papers and read the full text of 20 million articles, annotate them, and share with colleagues. It's the smarter way to do research. Here's the best part. If you're like me and been frustrated by not being able to access articles you find because they're behind a paywall, I've got good news. With Deep Dive, you get one-stop affordable research. If you're a listener of the BioReport, you can try the enterprise version of the service for free for one month. Go to deepdive.com. Dot com forward slash podcast and enter the code BioReport. That's Deep Dive D E E P D Y V E dot com forward slash podcast and the code is BioReport one word all caps. I'm Daniel Levine and this is the Bio Report. Earlier this year, Novellus Diagnostics rebranded itself as 4Biotherapeutics, signaling a shift from being a diagnostics company to its new life as a precision cancer therapeutics drug developer. Building on its functional genomics platform, the company is in-licensing small molecule drug candidates it sees having potential to treat hyper-targeted populations. We spoke to Usuma Malik, CEO of 4Biotherapeutics, about the move from diagnostics to therapeutics, the approach for is taking, and why it thinks it can see value in molecules that others may miss. Usama, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about four biotherapeutics, its strategic shift from diagnostics to therapeutics. And how it's seeking to build a pipeline of targeted therapies. Perhaps we can start with a little history, though. Four was known as Novellus DX until this year.
1: What was the name change meant to signal? Uh, once again, thanks for having me, Danny. So let me, let me maybe go back a little bit in time to come back to the present. Uh, as you mentioned, Four prior to a few months ago was Novellus Diagnostics, company based out of Jerusalem in Israel is about nine years old. It did start out as a diagnostic company. Uh, the foundational product here was a functional genomics platform that helped uh, physicians, providers, um, and pharma companies identify the right drugs for the right patients by looking at very specific molecular profiling by patient. Uh, over the years, um, as the company was evolving in that diagnostic business model, um, you know, I think a combination of prior management and the board realized that there was um, there was quite a bit of opportunity to think about diagnostics internally and develop diagnostics on their own because we were identifying unaddressed patient populations and matching them to therapies, uh, you know, that were either being developed or were already in the marketplace. And so, I believe in early 2019, the board and the management team decided to pivot from a diagnostic business model to the therapeutics business model. And leveraging the platform, um, you know, started to identify across a number of validated cancer targets uh, unaddressed patient populations where there's a high unmet need and where the company could really help bring beneficial therapies to market. Uh, under this scope uh, in early 2020, the company in-licensed its first product from Plexicon it's a next-generation BRAF. It addresses class 1 and class 2 mutations. Uh, and within that, again, using the platform, you know, we have very clear view into creative trial designs that target high unmet need populations. These are commercially viable populations. And we're moving the drug along uh, in the clinic um, into a phase 2 trial over the course of this year. Uh, I joined the company in mid-January of this year uh, and have... I'm in the process of establishing it here in the U.S. We're establishing the headquarters here in the U.S. We're inverting the Israeli entity into the U.S. And we're building out the company management and infrastructure here in the U.S. We're going to base the company most likely in the Philadelphia area. We're still finalizing those details. But as part of the overall pivot and the reestablishment of the company here in the U.S., as well as our mission and what we're looking to do, we rebranded the company to Four Therapeutics, Four, really focused on uh, foresight, forward-looking, bringing bringing things to the forefront. Uh, And, you know, this is the paradigm that we're, we're, we're trying to engage in, which is we're identifying unaddressed patient populations. We're bringing to the forefront, we're identifying drugs that can really impact these patients and driving them to the clinic at speed so we can get these medicines to, to patients. And so uh, we're in a new new era of the company, new chapter that is really, uh, really focused on targeted oncology, unaddressed patient populations, and matching drugs to those patients and bringing them to market as soon as we can. We can talk more about that, obviously, over the course of this call.
0: As cancer has moved to targeted therapies where we can better define patient subgroups, there's a significant opportunity for diagnostics to add value to therapies by identifying patients most likely to benefit from them. How difficult, though, is it for a diagnostic
1: company to capture value that they create?
0: It's a great question, and
1: I think it's a, it's a, it's a meta-strategic and philosophical question. What, what I'll, you know, the, the way I'll fast-forward through it is by saying we're, we're no longer a diagnostic company. We are a therapeutics company. We have our first asset in hand. We're we're thoroughly focused on driving this asset through the clinic. We're completing a phase one study uh, to identify the appropriate dosing as well as uh, in the process of completing our phase two protocols with very targeted populations. And we expect to, after having conversations with the FDA over the course of this year, launch registration oriented studies by the end of the year we're also actively in the process of doing additional business development using what was previously the diagnostic platform now as a technology platform that again uh, and just to explain a little bit about the platform this is a platform that looks at you know we we've now synthesized and characterized looked at t- over two dozen targets and nine to 10 different cancer pathways and by virtue of that we're able to look at each target in much more prolific deep and broad ways to again identify mutations that other people aren't thinking about they haven't targeted these are driver mutations that are previously unknown and then we're matching drugs to really address those particular mutations so we're in the active process of doing business development as well and we hope and expect to have additional assets over the course of this year and next year so that by the end of 22 you know we have at least 3 um, assets in the clinic that were that were targeting against different cancer targets and really um, going after high end met need populations. And so, uh, to answer your question, I think there are many things that can be successful or un- unsuccessful about diagnostic business models. We are no longer in the diagnostic space. We are in the targeted uh, oncology um, biotechnology space, meaning we are doing drug development. You joined the company in January. You had been CFO of. Immunomedics, which
0: Gilead acquired for twenty-one billion dollars, what attracted you to the opportunity? At
1: four, yeah, it's a it's a great question. So you know, just the overall trajectory of my career, I've spent uh, in healthcare specifically uh, about a little over twenty years. Half of it in operating roles, and half of it in management, consulting, and um, investment roles. I've primarily been focused on either cre- in either the creation of new businesses uh, through venture capital, working with them on my own, uh, or working with large companies to spin out new businesses, or in the business of transforming existing companies. And I generally have been switching between, you know, company creation to company transformation. And so my last gig at Immunomedics was really focused at transforming an existing company that had significant science Um, you know, but did not have the ability or the opportunity or capability to bring it to market and really helped lead the transition and transformation of that company from an early stage clinical company to a commercial company with a significant portfolio that we ultimately, you know, provided a a lot of significant opportunity for patients and and ultimately for shareholders as well. In this iteration now, I'm going back to company building uh, and I looked at, you know, Few dozen opportunities over the course of uh, the, the, the last few months uh, as I was transitioning out of Gilead with that, with that specific transaction. And I spent about three months um, doing significant diligence on four biotherapeutics. And I think the two or three components here, which we've started to discuss already, I think the functional genomics platform here that allows us to understand disease biology, as I call it, elucidating disease biology at an order of magnitude uh, is pretty significant. Uh, Our understanding of how these mutations work, how uh, variants of unknown significance can be driver mutations, and then targeting or finding drugs that can address those specific mutations gives us a lot of optionality in terms of how we think about uh, cancer targets. Uh, and how we approach unaddressed populations. On the other hand, the ability and certainly my experience doing a lot of business development and transactions and collaborations over the years to be able to find and bring in high quality assets to then develop around these high-end populations uh, gives, gives me a lot of opportunity to build and scale the company over time as well um so you know i think this is uh this is a company that on the one hand is early stage biotherapeutics on the other hand a company that's been around for eight or nine years with significant technology uh we have an asset that i think can become best in class and first in class in the next generation braf space which is it's very exciting it's a very large opportunity as well uh and as i mentioned i'm in the process of doing additional transactions over the course of this year and next year which will really allow us to build uh, you know, what, what I think is an evolution of the target oncology biotech model. And so the ability to build and create, again, uh, is a major attraction. You've spoken a, a bit about FORCE strategy, but
0: it, it seems somewhat premised on the notion that drug developers have assets that they're developing for the wrong indications. Can, can you speak a little about what FORCE is seeking to do in, in the sense of the opportunity it sees?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, great question. Uh, There are, in fact, you know, if you look at the two dozen or so targets that we have studied on our platform, there are plenty of drugs, uh, existing generation of drugs, new generation of drugs against those targets that, for one reason or another, either have failed in the clinic uh, by other companies or have been parked in the portfolio of companies because they've been deprioritized just given resource allocation and lack of funding. Uh, we have an acute view on what these drugs are and where they are, whether they're with large pharma companies, whether they're with biotech companies, or frankly, whether they're with emerging companies in Asia like China who, you know who are also uh, developing drugs and targeted oncology. And so the ability to do business development is certainly there. Uh, what we're doing, um, and, you know, in some cases, these drugs have failed because of poor trial design, because of lack of biomarker-enriched trials, or as I mentioned, because of resource allocation issues. What we're trying to do then is take a specific target, and we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take the example of BRAF. Um, there's first generation of BRAF drugs, uh, Roche, had the first approved drug there, which, by the way, also was a Plexicon drug. Uh, The second generation of BRAF drugs, of which we have also have a Plexicon drug, are now underway. Uh, We believe we're the furthest along in the clinic. Uh, We are reaching populations and and specific mutations that the first generation drugs just do not address. Um, Beyond that, even in the BRAF space, you know, people are generally going after what's known as hotspot mutations. Uh, they're looking at a handful of well-known uh, driver mutations and trying to target drugs there. Uh, we, for example, have now studied uh, close to 400 different mutations, You know, more than an order of magnitude what others are studying to try and understand what are additional driver mutations uh, that we can address with an existing drug to try and, to try and solve that particular need for a patient population that either has poor therapeutic options or no therapeutic options uh, before we acquired the plexicon asset you know we looked at eight different molecules in this next generation braf space in order to make a decision to go with the plexicon asset And we were able to do a a great deal with Plexicon to bring this asset in and really drive it through the clinic. And similarly, you know, we're going to use similar approaches and strategies with additional drugs that we're looking at now. You know, we're in late stage conversations with a handful of companies now with term sheets on the table across different targets. Um, You know, this could be RETs. This could be PI3 kinases. This could be EGFRs. Uh, so on and so forth. And we're looking at these very critically examining them again by looking at uh, the widest set of known mutations on those targets, and then trying to look at drugs that exist in the market that have a good therapeutic index, meaning they are tolerable in the clinic, that they have shown some activity, but now we can really, if you will, like laser guide them into specific mutations in patient populations to have potentially a higher probability of success and accelerated, accelerated approval pathways to commercialization.
0: Uh, you're, you're focusing on in-licensing small molecule drugs. You're looking to target hyper-targeted populations. That might seem a bit counterintuitive to seek out smaller patient
1: populations. What's the case for the strategy? Yeah, so it's another great question. And I'll go back to the comment that I made earlier where, you know, we believe – with the uniqueness of our platform, which is patent protected and a proprietary platform built over the last eight years, we have the ability to characterize a wide set of mutations uh, when generally, you know, the competitive landscape and we're targeted oncologies today is looking at a handful to, you know, twice the number of that uh, in terms of targeting their drugs. So when, for example, in, in the case of BRAF, when you're characterizing and looking at 400 different mutations and identifying dozens of driver mutations, we have much more depth and breadth in terms of understanding uh, where a drug may work. So even though any one given mutation may add up to uh, a couple hundred patients from a population perspective, when you aggregate dozens of these mutations, you then get to commercially viable sizes. So, for example, if you look at the four indications that we're starting with, and we think we have a ton of potential with the, with the lead asset here, you know, each indication, for example, class two uh, cleans as, as we're calling them, these are class two mutations that have no co-occurring co- mutations. That adds up to about twenty five hundred to three thousand patients just in the U.S. You can you know double or triple that number globally then we are looking at gliomas, class one and class twos. We're looking at mutations. We're looking at just class one cleans with no co-occurring mutations. It it is a level of synthesis uh, and and discernment that we're applying and adding these populations together to get to commercially viable populations. And so just in those first four lead indications with the lead asset, you know, we're looking at anywhere between 16 to 17,000 new patients in the U.S. and close to 50,000 patients globally. If you're just going mutation by mutation, again, that would be maybe hundreds of patients. But we're we're able to look across hundreds of mutations and then synthesize those where we think there's going to be activity with the drug, which adds up to larger patient populations. You've touched on the, the platform, but
0: what is unique about the platform? What information is it able to give you that other drug developers may not see in an asset?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll be brief about that. I think we've touched upon it through the conversation. We are essentially taking large private and public data sets and consuming them into uh, our database to try and characterize the broadest set of known mutations on a well-established oncology target. Uh, once we've characterized those uh, mutations, we're then able to use the platform, and there's a biological component to it, there's a robotic and automation component to it, to really identify driver mutations. Uh, and then we have a machine learning and AI component that looks at that looks at these mutations to try and identify uh, you know, the mutations that are driver mutations that we should prioritize. We're also able to screen drugs on this platform to then see which drug has what activity across against which driver mutation in order to be discerning about uh, how we approach uh, the drug in preclinically, uh, but also how we design clinical trials by virtue of being very specific about the specific patient populations. So that the end-to-end component from consuming large sets of data to understanding, you know, what were previously uh, variants of unknown significant as driver mutations and then screening drugs to understand activity across these mutations. Uh, you know, I think that entire process is proprietary, it's patent protected, and it's very unique. The breadth at which we're looking at these targets and the depth with which we're understanding these mutations, you know, is certainly from our perspective an order of magnitude what anyone else is doing.
0: And it sounds like the the goal is to Find compelling targets and then screen drugs against them, as opposed to finding drugs that may be opportunities to pursue.
1: Certainly, the strategy today is to deeply understand targets and the mutation of mutations across those targets, and then try and find drugs that already exist that can meet high unmet need patient populations. That is not to say you know strategy is always dynamic. It, as we become more successful in this model. And as we understand, you know, mutations against a target much better over time, in fact, even across new targets, we may very well start to think about, you know, discovering our own chemical entities in the future. But certainly for now, the goal is to, you know, bring in three to four compounds over the next couple of years and really, you know, build a scalable um, and dynamic biotech company and targeted on- oncology that's evolving that business model. And that, that last piece about evolving the business model is really focused on not spending time and money on d- drug discovery, rather finding drugs that other people have already done phenomenal work around, and then addressing them to, towards patient, patient populations that have, that have uh, high unmet need, and generally speaking, using breakthrough designated and orphan designated pathways, uh, accelerate them through the clinic so patients can get those medicines sooner rather than later. You've talked a bit about the RAF inhibitor that you've in-licensed from
0: Plexicon. This deal was done prior to you joining the company. Does it fit in with the strategy you're now pursuing, or did the strategy come about because of that opportunity? I'm just wondering how that fits with what what 4.0 is pursuing today as its strategy.
1: No, absolutely. I think we've we've talked about the the, the strategy to some extent, Danny. I think once a, when the company pivoted from diagnostics to therapeutics in early twenty nineteen, it was on the basis of this functional genomics platform, where you deeply studied a known oncology target, you characterized the widest set of known mutations, and then tried to understand uh, you know driver mutations that other people are not addressing, and then find drugs that target those mutations. That's exactly the strategy, and that's what led to getting the Plexicon asset. The team at that place, at that time, led by Michael Viedne, who's now my chief strategy and chief business officer, um, You know, as I mentioned, studied six to eight compounds in the next generation BRAF space, and ultimately targeted the plexicon compound uh, because of its activity, because of its tolerability, and where it was in the clinic, uh, and in license of the compound at that at that time. And we're doing the exact same thing with a number of other assets right now, where we're in advanced conversations with uh, with potential partners. This is being tested in, in a
0: broad range of cancers right now. What's the plan for identifying
1: indications and prioritizing the ones you'll pursue? Yeah, so in fact, uh, on the basis of a number of things, the, the depth of understanding we have uh, around BRAF on our platform, a number of proprietary PDX models and preclinical work that we've done, as well as leveraging work that Plexicon had has, has done, done. And in fact, having data on 74 patients uh, when we acquired the compound from Plexicon that gave us very good insight into how the drug actually worked in humans you know, um, excluding a certain population, a CRC population, for example, we're seeing just in those uh, those initial patient populations response rates, uh, uh, you know, upwards of thirty five percent, and very long durations of first responses. You know, ten patients still on drug anywhere between two years and six years, which is phenomenal. It gives you a sense for the activity of the drug, but also the tolerability of the drug. A very long therapeutic window, which you know, in my mind, certainly is one is going to be one competitive differentiating factor from, from any other next generation BRAFs that may be behind us anywhere between a year and three years. Um, and so on the basis of those three components, the clinical data, the preclinical data, and the platform data, we've certainly identified the initial set of populations that we want to put into registration-oriented studies. Hopefully by the end of this year, after discussing with the regulators, we're, we're looking at you know, we're looking at class 2 mutations, we're looking at fusions, we're looking at gliomas in class 1 and class 2, and we're looking at, you know, certain tumor types in class 1 mutations that have previously not been addressed or indicated for. Um, as I mentioned, just across these indications, you're looking at anywhere between fifteen and 17,000 patients just in the U.S., and then we have a much richer program behind it. You know, we we, we want to go after the highest, highest unmet needs to get medicines to patients as soon as we can now, but there's a lot more to be done with this drug, both in combination with other drugs, uh, but also hyper-targeting additional uh, mutations that we haven't started working on yet.
0: And as you seek to in-license new candidates, what's the criteria you're going to be focusing on?
1: Yeah, so the, you know, the sort of the three things for now. Um, Targeted oncology, validated targets, uh, places where we've you know broadly characterized these targets well and understand them, and you know places where we have uh, brought these compounds in to study them well across uh, you know driver mutations in known targets where we think existing drugs can work and be really beneficial to patients. Uh, those are really the criteria here. We're primarily also focused on small molecules in the short term. Uh, Again, that will continue to evolve over time, but certainly, again, over the next 18 months or so, the idea is to bring in another two or three assets that'll be small molecule, either clinic-ready compounds or compounds that have clinical data uh, in the targeted oncology space across targets that are well-known.
0: The company completed a $57 million venture financing in September.
1: How far will that funding take the company? So we, you know, from a financing perspective, we did a very good financing September of last year, exactly the one you're, you, you mentioned. This was led by Pontifax and Orbimed, uh, Wellington, Cormoran, uh, SR1, HBM, and uh, Novartis Ventures also came into that round. So a very strong syndicate. Uh, I am, you know, as as a previous CFO, I'm actively contemplating various financing approaches for the company over the course of this year, including uh, additional private rounds, as well as public market opportunity. And I'll continue to capitalize the company over the coming months uh, so that we can get to a place on our balance sheet that gives us you know, three or four years of runway where we can be heads down, focused on executing and executing well. And that means in licensing additional compounds and getting our lead asset, the Plexicon compound, to market as soon as we can where there's high unmet needs. Uh, so that's, you know, I, it's a more general answer, but that's kind of the, the approach is to continue to capitalize the company and, and do it in uh, ways that are most beneficial for shareholders, both existing and new ones, uh, but also gives management the room and the space to really focus on building the company and executing really well.
0: Usama Malik, CEO of Four Biotherapeutics. Usama, thanks for your time today.
1: Danny, appreciate it. Really enjoyed it.